39% of recent survey respondents over the age of 55 stated that dementia was the condition they most feared falling vulnerable to. And your fears may just be understandable. Here's the recent statistics released by Dementia Australia. Dementia is the second leading cause of death of Australians. And according to the World Health Organization, is currently the seventh leading cause of death among all diseases and one of the major causes of disability and dependency among older people globally. Dementia is the leading cause of death for women. As of 2023, there are over 400,000 Australians living with dementia and over 1.5 million people involved in the care of someone living with dementia. Without a medical breakthrough, the number of people with dementia is expected to increase to over 800,000 by 2058. To help us understand this complex condition, we're joined by Dr. Nikki Ann Wilson. Nikki is a postdoctoral research fellow in cognitive health and dementia at Neuroscience Research Australia and adjunct fellow in the School of Psychology at the University of New South Wales. Hello and welcome to another episode of Ironing Out the Wrinkles. I'm your host, Ros McMaster. And I'm your other host, Kate Shaw. Together, we're taking the age out of ageism, helping men and women embrace life beyond 50 with less fear. In 2021, Nikki completed her PhD as part of the Frontier Dementia Research Group at the University of Sydney Brain and Mind Centre and was awarded the Graduate Medal for Research Excellence. Her research examined the breakdown of cognition and behavioural variant frontal temporal lobe dementia and how this relates to the social challenges associated with this form of dementia. Dr. Nikki Ann Wilson, hello and welcome. Hello and thank you so very much for having me on the program. It's a delight to be here. Normally, we like to keep things light and bright, but according to those statistics in the beginning, um, we're doomed. But we're anyway, doomed. we'll um... hopefully be positive now. <laughs> so, Can I start by making a comment on the light and please, bright? Please. Um, based on that introduction, there is those are some big numbers. Dementia is a, a very big issue in Australia and internationally, and we know that. The reality of dementia is a growing concern for the world at large. But I think one of the ways that you phrase that is there's a number of people living with dementia. And I think from the outset today, it's about understanding how dementia, yes, it's a very severe neurodegenerative disease, but we can also understand how to support people living with dementia. It's not necessarily a, it's, I mean, it, yes, it's a degenerative disease, so it will ultimately end someone's life. But at the same time, people are living well with dementia these days. So I think it's really important oh, to have important. that representation. Thank you. Definitely. Well, One we'll, of the we'll, things when I talk about dementia is that often in representations, if you put in person with dementia into Google search or something like that, all these images come up of old people, in inverted commas, staring out of windows looking sad. And usually there's rain on the window or something like that. 
And I think it's that representation that we need to move beyond because that's not what dementia is in 2023. We've read that you have a lived experience of disability and caring roles, which drive your passion for your research. Do you mind sharing that story with us? So I won't go into the details, obviously, because part of that story is not mine to share. But I'm primary carer for my mum, who has complex chronic health issues and is in hospital as we speak. And I think that that's something that enriches my research experience. I think that I've learnt so much in that caring role from navigating health systems and the challenges faced of trying to balance my research career with my caring role and I think that just that understanding is something which really drives that passion for what I do and the disability comes in from the fact that I've been chronically unwell since I was 10 years old so some of that I think that as we age and sometimes we experience this earlier in our life through disability or illness I think that Part of ageing is adapting to changing circumstances and I'm a great believer that everything we go through makes us more of what we're meant to be, if that makes sense. Makes us resilient. Absolutely. It's great. It's it's, everything we, we experience brings something to the next part of our life. And for me, I think that that experience of being unwell and having those challenges, it certainly fuels my passion for making things better for other people and I think brings some unique perspective to what I do. Oh, wow. That's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you, Nikki Ann. So in layman's terms, what is dementia? So I think the first thing to understand is that dementia is not one disease. So dementia comes in many forms. And the easiest way I like to explain what dementia is is to think of dementia as an umbrella term. So it's kind of like cancer. So we all understand that there can be different kinds of cancer. There can be breast cancer and lung cancer and bowel cancer, and they'll all start in different parts of the body, and they'll all start with different presentations. So a pain one place in the body or a symptom in another part of the body. And this is kind of what it's like with dementia. So the most common form of dementia is Alzheimer's disease and this is usually the one which most people are most familiar with but a lot of people think that Alzheimer's disease and dementia are the same thing but they're not. Alzheimer's disease is just one type of dementia. Yeah I I definitely always thought they were the same thing. Yeah Mm -hmm. It's the one thing most people are afraid of in relation to getting older, isn't it? And do you think those fears are grounded? Like statistically, what's the likelihood of us developing dementia and what are the myths that we need to put truth to? I can't give you exact statistics on on what your likelihood of developing dementia is because, as I say, it varies between dementia syndromes. It depends on your family history. It depends on your lifestyle. It depends on where you're born. So there's all these competing factors that contribute to your individual risk for developing dementia. So that's a very unique property that's that's your particular thing, if that makes sense. Sure. Um, But in regards to being fearful of developing dementia, I think that firstly that's a very understandable fear to have as we age. 
I think that one of the important points to put across, though, is that dementia is not inevitable. So a lot of people still perceive dementia as a natural part of ageing, and that's not the case. We know that there are some people who will develop dementia, but there's also some who won't. Now, we're not particularly good at this stage of of discriminating those two people, of saying this person will and this person won't, but we know there are certain things we can do across our lifespan to reduce that risk, and I'm happy to go into some of those things today. Oh, lovely. All right, yeah, that question is coming up. So you talked about Alzheimer's being one form of dementia. I read that there's four different types of dementia i'm sure there's many more but what what are the the most common so yes you're correct there are many more types than even four i think there's about a hundred or over a hundred types of dementia technically and the main ones that we probably are associated are associated with aging and that people are most likely to hear about are alzheimer's disease as you mentioned And this traditionally presents or characteristically presents as a change in memory. So that quintessential, someone's becoming more forgetful, they're forgetting people's names more often, perhaps they're getting lost more often than usual and finding it difficult to get back to their car in the shopping centre, or the things that used to be easily remembered are now becoming more difficult and it's starting to have an impact on that person's life. And that's a key, I I will explain the other kinds of dementia, but that's a key point. Dementia occurs when this tendency to forget and become more, have more issues with memory and navigation and things like that. It's when these things start to impact our daily function that we need to be concerned. So it's normal to have a little bit more forgetfulness as we age, unfortunately, when none of us are getting younger. So forgetting someone's name or forgetting the odd word, that's all common. Everyone does it. But perhaps if you've driven to the shops and you struggle to find your way home or you get lost or you're forgetting things that you've always known how to do, that's when perhaps someone should go and speak to their doctor. Um, But I digress. Other kinds of dementia include so you mentioned in the introduction that I did my PhD in a kind of dementia called frontotemporal dementia and you may have recently heard that Bruce Willis was diagnosed with this condition poor thing now at the Mm. beginning of at the beginning of explaining dementia I was referring to an umbrella form of dementia as an umbrella term so Alzheimer's is one kind frontotemporal dementia is another kind but frontotemporal dementia is also an umbrella term with little sub-dementias under oh that. Oh, so so it's, kind of, it's a complex picture where we've got dementia at the top and then we've got frontotemporal dementia is one kind of dementia and then within frontotemporal dementia we have two kinds of dementia. We've got the behavioural form where people present with changes in their personality and ability to interact with people socially And we've got, and I can go into that a little bit more if you like, and then we've got the language form of the frontotemporal dementia. And this is the one that Bruce Willis appears to have where he's having challenges with his speech and the production of language and the understanding of words. So as you can see, it's kind of a hierarchy system of all these different ways that dementia can affect someone. But I think that's really important to understand because 
as a community, it's about increasing our awareness of the diversity of dementia that we can best support people living with it. Um, another kind of dementia is Lewy body dementia. I don't know whether you've heard of that one. The name's uh, familiar. No. So this one, again, presents differently. So people with this form of dementia tend to experience hallucinations as one of the early symptoms, and that's a less common form of dementia. So the, the frontotemporal dementia and and the Lewy body dementias are understandably people will be less familiar with those because they're not as popular as common. Um, and then we've got vascular dementia, which is different again. So they're probably the four that most people will hear about at some stage. I ran you through those very quickly. Please yeah. No, that's fine. It'll get really complex. Yeah. And otherwise. do you only get the one kind? You can't get more than one kind. Is that right? Um. <laughs> Not, not necessarily, oh, um, but generally, generally people are diagnosed with dementia based on their first presenting symptoms. So in the end, as you, if we go back to the cancer analogy, in the end, someone who's been diagnosed with cancer and say they have bowel cancer, in the end, that cancer will likely unfortunately spread throughout their body and into their brain and other organs, and they'll have all the symptoms associated with that spread of the disease. And the same thing's kind of true for dementia. So, for example, if you have Alzheimer's disease, that dementia tends to start in a, brain, in a part of the brain called the temporal lobe, or the, particularly the hippocampal region in the brain. Now, that's a big word, but it's essentially part of how we remember. It's part of the brain that helps us remember. Now, because this Alzheimer's disease starts in that part of the brain, that's why people will have these early symptoms of becoming more forgetful and things like that. But if, as the Alzheimer's disease progresses, then just like cancer, that damage in the brain will progress to other regions which are responsible for other symptoms. So kind of in the end, dementia will all look the same. It'll impact the brain broadly. But in the early stages, we can tell the difference between these clinical syndromes by the way they're presenting. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'm just wondering, I've been doing a lot of reading, of course, as we do when we have great guests. What are the known causes of like I've read that maybe genetics or maybe hypothyroidism or alcoholism or strokes or poor diet or depression. Is that just a myth? Yeah, there's so much out there. It's like, what's true? Yeah. So when I said there were over 100 kinds of dementia, some of those forms of dementia, so there are unique forms of dementia associated with things like alcoholism. So there's a type of dementia called Korsakoff syndrome, which can be associated with that kind of, of drinking and malnutrition associated with that. Um, and that can be somewhat reversible. It's more manageable, I would say, than um, depending on the stage at which it's diagnosed. Um, but generally, no. The dementia is sadly a progressive neurodegenerative disease so that means that the brain will continue to experience damage but having said that the cause of dementia we know is multifaceted so there's not one thing that's going to increase your risk of dementia yes 
some people will have genetic tendencies, but that doesn't necessarily mean, just as with cancer, you can carry a cancer gene, but it doesn't necessarily mean you will get the disease. So I think that's really important to, I think that Chris Hemsworth was recently in the news about he has been, um, he's discovered that he's more prone perhaps to developing dementia. Uh, I think he, um, I don't know if you've heard about that, but Anyway, anything to do with Chris Hemsworth. But <laughs> I, I want to point out that it's definitely something that's multifaceted. And we know from dementia risk reduction research that that, that inclination or to whether or not you're going to get dementia, that risk, starts to develop. There's factors that re- contribute to that very early in the life course. Now, of course, if we're older, we can't go back and change what we did in our youth, unfortunately. But as dementia prevention research expands and we move forward, we're really trying to get that message across to younger people that things like early life education, protecting our brains in our younger years, so things like getting hit with a cricket ball in the head or traumatic brain injury or something like that, that can increase our risk of dementia, Smoking and drinking, hearing loss can increase our risk of dementia. So I hate Gosh, to put the, yes. put the kibosh on mm. all those loud music festivals. But we, we, had a, um, we had an audiologist on actually and he had mentioned the link yeah. um, between dementia and um, hearing oh, loss. Hearing. Mm. But the challenge, of course, with trying to get across those earlier life factors and midlife factors is that no one really wants to hear about what's going to happen sort of 50 years hence. So trying to get teenagers to pay attention to brain health is an ongoing challenge in dementia prevention research. But having said that, that's part of the overall picture of someone's risk, things that occur across the lifespan. But there's other things that we can do at any point in our lifespan. So things like having a good diet, exercise, keeping socially engaged, keeping our brains active, these are things that we also know will reduce our risk at any point in our, in our lifetime. So so that's true, is it? Um, we were going to run through some of those as well. Um, was it myth or fact? So keeping the mind active, if I just do a crossword, is that enough? So there's a lot that's happened in recent years in brain training. So there's a lot of companies that have sort of hopped onto the bandwagon of brain training. Now, unfortunately, a lot of those brain training things, you'll get better at that particular brain training task, but it won't necessarily (laughs) transfer to decreasing your dementia risk. So the the key with keeping one's brain active is to make sure that we're keeping it active in, in a variety of ways. So do your crossword, perhaps if you if you enjoy your brain training activities, do those sorts of things. But do things like that challenge your brain, like learning a new language or going to interesting talks. I know there's the University of the Third Age, which offers talks for seniors and there's Computer Pals for seniors and there's Probus and all these different groups. I'm, I'm not affiliated with any of these things, but there's all these different in, engaging ways to interact with the world around us, which keep our minds active. So I think that's the best way to to think of that cognitive training. Think of it as engaging with the world. Yeah. So if, if it's genetics and we're predisposed through genetics, it may not be reversible, but there's other ways, like we've just mentioned 
where we can slow it down if we are predisposed perhaps to head in that direction? So one of the best things you can do to slow it down is keep learning. So we know yeah. that across the lifespan, people who have higher levels of education have a decreased risk of dementia. But we also know that people with a higher level of education tend to be able to stave off the impacts from the dementia, even if they do get it for longer. So one thing that can impact the diagnosis of dementia is if you have a higher education you're often diagnosed later in the course of your dementia because you've got those coping mechanisms or what we call cognitive reserve, which sustains your ability to function for longer. But then sadly, once you can't, once you are diagnosed with dementia, sometimes that means that you deteriorate more quickly at the other end because you've been living with it longer without that diagnosis. So it's a double-edged sword. But having said that, it's, it, yes, there are things we can do day to day, like engaging with the world, learning new things, being active physically. All these things are very good for our brains. There, there was actually, it, there's been, I think, two or three very good movies. So have you ever seen Alice? Something about Alice, still, I think it was Alice? called. Still yes. Alice. Um, a brilliant, absolutely brilliant movie. All based on fact. I mean, that was based on a true story. So is there any, I highly recommend everyone um, see it, although it's also a little bit depressing, but was was everything true in that? Was it a true representation of her slide into dementia? Uh, I have seen the movie. I don't know whether it's a true story or not, unfortunately. I, I yeah, don't it was a true story. But, yes, it was a good representation of the challenges that someone face, faces when, and the, the challenges on the family as well. I think mm. it's very important to remember that while one person might be diagnosed with dementia, it's really a disease of the whole family in a way because you have the caring roles and the disruption to the life beyond the person affected. Now, of course, that that's not the person with dementia's fault and that should be made very clear. But And I suppose the same could be said in something like cancer where it's a disease of the whole family. I mean, in many of these conditions that everyone seems to be impacted in some way. But with dementia, sometimes that impact can be more pronounced than in other things because of the nature of the disease. And I think still Alice did a really good job of representing things that people aren't necessarily used to associating with dementia they may not know things so I think there was a scene in that movie where I mentioned getting lost earlier where Alice needed to to use the bathroom and she couldn't find the bathroom and now that's very distressing to watch obviously but it's also very important to understand that dementia is more than being a bit forgetful we're talking about a severe disruption to someone's ability to function. And I think that's really important. Now, of course, that was in the later stages of the disease, but I think that's really important when people have this fear of dementia that every time they lose their keys, they must be getting dementia. So it's this line between being aware of that severity of the disease and so being aware that normal forgetfulness is sort of at one end of the spectrum and that severity of the disease is at the other, but at the same time not having that fear of 
of what's going on as well. So awareness can increase action. So we can all do those things that I talked about, eat better, exercise, things like that. And fear can be a good motivator in some ways for that. But also just awareness of what people who are living with dementia and their families are going through sometimes can be helpful as well yeah. as a community. I'm rattling on about dementia. No, that's so wonderful. Feel free to ask me more questions. That I, I recommend anyone to watch that because the, the movie actually highlights the gen, genetic component too that you were talking about um, because all the family members had a choice to get tested and one of them ended up um, testing positive for being a candidate for the same dementia that her mother had and then um, another daughter didn't want to know. Mm -hmm. She chose not to have the test. So it's, mm -hmm. it's a brilliant movie, absolutely have brilliant I movie. Just to comment on the genetics of dementia. So we know that younger forms of dementia, so there's what we call younger onset dementia, and that's dementia which occurs under the age of 65 years. So we know that if you've got a parent who was diagnosed with dementia under the age of 65, you're far more likely to develop the disease than if you had a parent who was diagnosed in their 80s or 90s. So... Those it's again it's sort of like that um like that breast cancer gene that people have heard of the younger someone the younger your parents may have or one of your parents may have developed the disease the more likely it is that you'll get it and then there's other forms of dementia so that frontotemporal dementia that I was talking about we know that there's certainly a genetic tendency there so if you're one of your parents has that then you're definitely more likely to get it but for the broader population. Having a parent who was diagnosed with Alzheimer's at 85 years of age, yes, it might increase your risk, but all those other factors that we've been talking about, so lifestyle and early factors in your life and where we're born. And I, I say where we're born because at the moment, the largest increase in cases of dementia is happening in low and middle income countries. So as Australians, we're actually really lucky to be living here with all this information and access to healthy food and all these sorts of things. So worldwide, it's low and middle income countries that are showing that increase in dementia. So oh, always whole, the way. We are so broad, lucky. There's a, I think the key with cause and risk is to understand that, yes, there are certain things that can increase your risk, but it's the bigger picture that it works together to determine whether you'll get it. I'm just wondering um, whether being a vegetarian, I love taking lots of vitamins and minerals like B12, and I've read B12, folic acid and magnesium are a help. Is uh, that right? I don't know about that specifically. There, There is a rarer form of dementia associated with vitamin deficiencies, but it's not, it's not my area and it's less common so I um I don't know specifically whether that will help but things like there's there's some things like um there's a few supplements I won't mention any of the brand names but there's a few supplements on the market that claim to decrease dementia risk now look if it's a supplement that's got healthy fats and oils in it like omega-3s and things like that and it's not doing you any harm then I don't see, like, if you can financially afford it and it's not doing any harm, then go ahead and take it if it's something that makes you feel better. But 
sadly, there's nothing that we know specifically that will decrease your risk in that in that supplement space. There's nothing that's there at the moment. And in regards to drugs, I think possibly some of your listeners may have heard of some of the recent drug trials for Alzheimer's disease that have come out. Have you heard of aducanumab or any of those? No. So there are they are making some progress in the in the pharmaceutical area of treating dementia. Sadly, it's very slow progress and very frustrating progress for anyone living with the disease. And the media has a tendency to report these breakthroughs as, you know, they're going to cure dementia tomorrow, sadly. Um, which is, you know, hope is important, but it, hope can also be dangerous sometimes when it's hyped up more than what it should, what it actually is. Um, but having said that, there are some breakthroughs in this area which may slow the d- decline, so the progression of the disease. Um, sadly, we're not yet there. Sort of, we don't have a treatment yet. Sadly. Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's an important point. That's a nice segue into me asking how long does it take for dementia to develop? And I guess that's a huge variable, isn't it, depending on the type of dementia and no bag of apples is the same. So I like that expression. Um, <laughs> so, yes, you're correct. It's very individual. And at this stage, one of the key issues we have with dementia at the moment is we can't say if someone's diagnosed with dementia we can't say what your particular progression in your particular form of dementia in in your case will like whether you'll have a year or five years we don't know so that's a key difficulty when you're first diagnosed with dementia and I think that um, I want two points. Um, I want to plug some of our research on that point. That, uh, <laughs> no, that's good. That's good. Um, first of all, uh, yes. So the development of the disease will. In, in let's talk about Alzheimer's because that's the most common form. Um, we know that there's. Have you heard of amyloid, beta, yes. and tau pathology? So these mm-hmm. are the two proteins that tend to be associated with um, Alzheimer's. So. Amyloid beta is a protein, a toxic protein that builds up in the brain and tau is more associated with the structure of the brain cells. So that tends to, that forms what we call neurofibrillary tangles and these are big words that you don't have to remember. But there's these proteins that build up in the brain and we know or at least we think because we still like there's still debate about it, but we we think that these two proteins lead to Alzheimer's disease. So this buildup of this toxic substance in the brain leads to what we know as Alzheimer's disease. But we also know that people, everyone will have some of this protein buildup in the brain as we age. And we know that some of this protein buildup in the brain will happen before we're actually symptomatic. So If we scan, if we do a special test where we scan for this protein in the brains of healthy older adults, then they'll show some of this build-up in the brain, but they won't have the memory issues and the navigation issues and the thinking and planning and reasoning difficulties that we know are associated with Alzheimer's disease. So it doesn't seem to be a one-to-one kind of have this protein build-up in the brain, have Alzheimer's disease. 
So what we're focusing on at the moment in research, a lot of research that's happening at the moment is this is this buildup of this protein in what we call a preclinical phase. So what makes it so that one person will go on to develop the disease and one person won't? And that's something that we're still trying to work out. We don't know that yet. And I guess you're still researching if there's a way to get rid of it and eliminate it before yes. it develops. I, yeah, I, well, that would be the key, yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's one question I'm really curious about, and that is that dementia is the leading cause of death. Like, I, I understand if my um, liver fails or if my heart fails, how does dementia actually lead to someone's death? So dementia at the brain level, so what's happening in our heads when we have dementia, is essentially our brain cells are dying. So that leads to what we call atrophy, neural atrophy, or more commonly just shrinkage. Your brain literally shrinks in your skull. Now, as our brain's shrinking, we're losing those connections in our brain. So our ability for our brain to communicate with other parts of our brain. And ultimately, it will end up shrinking to such an extent where even daily life-sustaining activities start to be impacted. So in the very end stages of dementia, people will forget to eat and drink and things like that. Now, of course, just as with cancer, death from dementia is often something secondary will come and that will be the ultimate cause of death. So someone might get pneumonia, for example, which often happens in cancer. And then because their system's so overwhelmed by cancer and they've got all this degeneration in other parts, they're unable to deal with that infection and sadly they pass away. So it's kind of, it's shrinkage of the brain to the point where our brains can no longer sustain life in the face of any of those challenges that come along like infection or anything like that. Does that make sense? It does. Mm, Thank you for clarifying yes. that for me. I always wondered about me that too. actually. Yeah, but yeah, the, the brain can't communicate with other parts of the body to um, tell it what to do. So yeah, yeah very you, interesting. Do you find that females suffer more with dementia than men? Some kinds of dementia, yes, they do. Um, and we don't really know why. So we know that hormones potentially might have some contribution to that, but we still aren't sure. And then there's other factors like for example, in a recent survey that we did uh, through Professor Anstey's group at Neuroscience Research Australia, just plugging my boss's work, um, we know that women experience more barriers as well from for in risk reduction. So when we were talking about dementia prevention things, women are often off raising children and trying to put up with to trying to build careers and all these busy life experiences tend to get in the way of those factors like eating well and exercising more for women than men earlier in the life and that might be part of it um but of course there's more to those there's more to that research that we still are trying to understand and it it varies across dementia syndromes as well so in alzheimer's disease women are more likely to get it but in other forms of dementia it's either more similar between genders or it's um like for example in frontotemporal dementia i'm i think men are more likely to get it than women um so it just varies across dementia syndromes 
Mm. And I think, you know, in terms of at what point do we know someone needs help or support, it's it's not like I think other forms of disease where you say, well, you should have got to the doctor sooner. Um, it doesn't help to know sooner, does it, if someone's got dementia, like there's nothing more that can be done about it if you recognise it sooner, is there? Like I'll give you an example. My son-in-law's mother um, she was diagnosed with early onset. So she was in her 60s, but I think she was mm. under 65 or just turning 65. And like for quite a number of years, she started, you know, she'd be invited to go somewhere and she started saying, well, do you think someone could pick me up? I'm not sure how to get there. And it would be somewhere that she'd driven all the time. And everyone just started getting a little bit irritated and thinking that she was just lonely and looking for attention. And so it got, you know, they would go and pick her up, but they were getting very annoyed. But it mm. turned out that, that she was actually getting dementia. Um, yeah. So. so it's a very, I'm very sorry to hear your personal experience of that. And it's such an important thing to realise that often, particularly in these younger onset cases where, you know, with stereotypically as a society, we still think of dementia as a disease of old people. So, you know, like having someone who's younger experiencing some of these symptoms and particularly if some of those symptoms are behavioural, so a change in personality, for example, and in frontotemporal dementia, people can get it in their 30s and 40s. So these are key life stages where people are dealing with stress at work or they're raising families or going through a midlife crisis or, you know, there's so many different ways that the symptoms of dementia can be misconstrued in the early stages because of those societal expectations we have of what a person with dementia looks like. And sadly, that extends to the challenge in diagnosis. So someone presenting with changes in behaviour or um, someone presenting in with forgetfulness or something in those earlier years, they're likely to not only be dismissed by family and friends, but also sadly if they go to their doctor because it's just not as commonly recognised as in someone who's older. So it's a particularly challenging set of experiences for people to have. Yeah, definitely. I, I think she was just being diagnosed with depression and all sorts of things. Yes, yes. And, and that's, I mean, obviously we've made great progress in the awareness of mental health issues and that's valid. We should be supporting people with mental health issues as best we can. But I think it's also important to realise that if someone you love or care about is showing pronounced changes in their behaviour or function that you don't think are characteristic for them, then that's when we sort of need to start thinking about going and just getting some things checked out. And can you slow it down if you've found out that she's, like if she'd been diagnosed earlier, would that have been a big help? Yeah, and no, I think we were just talking about that. Yeah, there's some things we can do. But also I think on the point of diagnosis, and this is around our research, um, so that point of diagnosis, that period surrounding first, being diagnosed is a very stressful time, not only for the person with dementia, but the carers as well. And that's a key point where we're really trying to improve the support available for people in that early stage of this dementia journey, because it's a challenging time. It's Dementia is a challenging thing to deal with across the course of the disease, but there's differences in what the person, what 
the type of support that someone needs as they move through this. And one thing that our group is doing at the moment is we're running an international collaboration. So we're doing a study looking at helping people through that early diagnosis stage. So we're trying to run a group online program at the moment. It's in collaboration with Norway and the UK. And wow. it's to help people regain control and plan for the future and really develop some skills to help navigate that dementia journey. And in collaboration with that, some skills for the carer, so what we call an e-learning. Now, this study is called the SHAPE study, and we're actively recruiting at the moment. So if any of your listeners have recently had a loved one or been diagnosed themselves with dementia, please reach out to us at Neuroscience Research Australia and we'd love to have you as part of our study because I think it's really important, particularly being an online program, that we're able to reach those people in regional areas who may not be able to access the support services available in the major cities. And that's really important in that early stage that people get the support that they need. Wow. That's really interesting. And so uh, that brings us on to support. How do we support our loved one or not even necessarily our loved one, someone that we know who has it, um, you know, as far as the way we communicate with someone who has Alzheimer's? Like calming phrases. Yeah, the do's and don'ts. Yeah. And so I think that um, one of the key things to understanding the best way to support someone with dementia who if that person is saying things that aren't true or mistaking you for someone else or something like that, I think it's important to ask ourselves, what would it achieve if we corrected them? Now, is it going to fix the situation? If they think that you're their long-lost childhood friend or that you're they're, they're mistaking you for someone else or they're changed, they're, they think that they're in a different location or something like that, is it best to be, oh, no, that's not right and try and sort of correct the situation to your reality or is it better to validate what they're feeling in that moment and talk to them about those feelings and, and talk through the situation where they are at that point? And generally we find that that's the better alternative. It's about validating the feelings and reminiscing and asking the person questions and letting them lead the conversation and tell you about where they happen to be in their in that point in time because we know that there's no real benefit in constantly correcting someone with dementia there's no the the capacity to learn goes as we develop dementia and progress in the disease so you can't you can't correct someone out of it so i think it's best to come from a point of validating their experience and sitting with them in it and sharing those if it's a if it's a parent for example reliving those past experiences and perhaps there's a really great initiative that is you can google it and there's lots of different starters but there's a really great initiative called memory books where it's a great way to connect with a loved one with dementia doing something together that's quite tactile so 
you'll have a page where this is where I went to school and you'll have photos and put together a scrapbook kind of thing or this is where this is me in my teenage years or this is the holiday I took in my 20s and it's basically a reminiscence book where you can talk about things together and it's a way of anchoring the person with dementia in to sort of share their experiences so that they feel more connected but it can be there's a lot of if you think about dementia australia runs some really great courses on um on sharing what it's like to have the experience of dementia and i think if we all think of being in a place perhaps not knowing where we are being confused perhaps experiencing some agitation or anxiety there might be different there might be elements of pain or you know, away from your loved ones, in a different place, out away from your home. I mean, it's pretty normal sometimes to be frustrated and agitated and someone's making you shower at a particular time of the day and you've always showered in the evening and they're making you shower in the morning or something like that. I think if we think of some of the experience of dementia from that normal reaction kind of like anyone in that situation would experience some of those feelings, then we can come to where the person with dementia is more easily if we understand sort of that's the way we approach it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's fascinating. Just just, um, out of curiosity, is, is dementia affecting every nation equally or is there any particular countries that suffer more? Well, as I said earlier, so we know that the greatest increase in cases of dementia at the moment is happening in low and middle income countries, and that's what's predicted to increase. Now, we don't really know why that is at this stage. It could be, it could be the sort of changes in diet or things like that that occur across the um, population. But I, I think that it's, really important to understand that dementia is a worldwide condition it's not just something that we're experiencing here in Australia it's something that's impacting the world as a whole and it is a priority health condition listed by the World Health Organization so it's certainly something that we're having to face as a global community and I think it's really important to understand that at the moment a lot of our dementia prevention research focuses on individual risk reduction. So we need to eat better, we need to exercise, we need to do these things individually, which is great. We've got, we're trying to get those messages out there, that's great. But we also know that those things aren't necessarily easy for a lot of people to do. There are other challenges, socioeconomic disadvantage, issues with um, access to safe spaces to exercise, issues in in accessing healthy, affordable food. And we need top-down help from the government and in policy to really be able to instigate these things that we know can help reduce our risk of dementia at a population level rather than just saying it's an individual responsibility. So that's going to be key for moving forward with dementia risk reduction research, I think. Well. And, and what about treatment? Are we getting further along with treatment research? Well, she's doing that, aren't you? Yeah. Like those proteins. Well, but I baby steps and, and fun, I guess funding again is an issue for, yeah, for medical so, research, isn't it? 
Yeah, well, I'm an early career researcher, so that's basically the stage where you're just trying to get a foot in the door. Um, but, yes, look, it's look, it is being funded. I think that the government and, you know, funding institutions around the world, we are aware that dementia needs more research and more funding, but at the same time, it's very difficult. We're still... We're making very small steps towards treatments in some forms of dementia, but in other forms of dementia, so frontotemporal dementia, that one with Bruce Willis that we were talking about earlier, there's still no specific treatment for that whatsoever. And I think that, as we mentioned at the top of this podcast, how dementia is an umbrella term and Alzheimer's is just one form of dementia, nine times out of ten, if you hear a miracle breakthrough drug on the news it will just be for Alzheimer's disease. It won't impact other forms of dementia. So there's still a lot of work to do. I am not single-handedly going to cure dementia, unfortunately. I would like to. But I think that there's so many good people doing amazing research in the prevention space, in living well with dementia and supporting carers and people living with dementia to live more enriched lives and ways that we can make the experience of dementia better. There's things we can do as a community, understanding the diverse representations of dementia and how one person might have difficulties with memory and one person might have difficulties with speech and language. So that if we come across people in the community displaying those differences, we're more aware and more supportive. Um, So there's a lot we can do, I think. We can't cure, but we can certainly help, I think. And we can can care. I mean, carers carers need care. So Mm, I think that... Down to love. Yeah. Yeah. And all that's, that's a really important point. I think all carers care with love, mm-hmm. but care, love doesn't sustain. You need support. And that is the carer does an amazing job and the carers need carers. So oh if you gosh, know yes. someone, if you know someone who's got a partner that they're caring for or a loved one that they're caring for, then just checking in on them and giving them a safe space to be able to just let it out sometimes is some one of the greatest things that you can do for someone. That's lovely. I've got I can't resist asking this question because otherwise I'm going to be pouring <laughs> over books. Um, I'm intrigued about and I, I know you're saying it's only in the early days with research, but that type of protein that you've discovered in younger people that can perhaps develop into brain disease. Do they know now yet where those proteins come from? So the amyloid protein that we were talking about, that is in Alzheimer's disease and it's not only in younger people. So that occurs naturally in everyone's brain. So there's, there's a kind of amyloid protein that can become toxic. And for some people, the ability to clear that protein from the brain is disrupted. So we all have amyloid. We all have these proteins in our brain and we all tend to build up more of them as we age. But for some people, there's just a tipping point where our brains can't clear it as effectively and then it starts to cause that damage in the brain and our brains tend to start to to have that, um, that 
Definitely. That's good. So it's not in a food, it's just naturally in no, our brain. No, 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 no. It's, it's right. just a natural process in the brain that can be disrupted in Alzheimer's disease. And that's research now that you've got, you're doing now is how to eliminate that or keep it in check. Well, yes. I'm not doing that research personally. Um, no, you and your team. That's for a lot smarter people than I am. But no, there's there's certainly drug companies that have been working on helping to remove that protein from the brain. There's, that's what some of the latest drug therapies are trying to target, that mechanism. But we also know that there have been drugs that target that mechanism and they haven't worked. So the problem is that we're still, we think we know what's causing Alzheimer's disease, but we still are a long way from actually getting the results that we would expect if that were the sole case. I think there's that was a long-winded way of saying we really don't know. Um, <laughs> so we think we know, but we've got these drugs that kind of do the thing that we think will help and they don't really help. So it's just I think that we've got part of the picture but we've been working on this one little part of the picture thinking it's the it's the key to solving all the problems and I think we're slowly as a community of, in research um, realising that there's a bigger picture that we have to try and un unpack because yeah, that micro-focusing on that one mechanism doesn't seem to be delivering the results that we we, we hope for. Thank you. I, that saves me reading the answer books. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Nikki, I, I think that's been a fabulous talk today and I think our listeners are going to get a lot out of it. Um, hopefully it will help ease their minds a little bit and at least they know there's something they can do um you know the it's diet positive, the exercise yeah, keeping the mind well. busy yes. learning something new um stuff that we've all been told but we need it reinforced by someone who actually knows what they're talking about because we've grown to not trust the google doctor no <laughs> all the, you know sometimes the press frighten us too don't they oh, yeah and like like you said the images of people sitting by windows with the rain running down it we need to um change the the picture to make mm. it look more realistic mm. yeah and i can assure you that nearly everyone listening to this podcast will know someone living with dementia so it's it's about ensuring that we can do what we can to make sure that the community is accepting of people living with dementia for longer within the community. So anything we can do to increase support or just, you know, be more aware as, as good citizens of the experience of dementia, I think that that's a really great way to think of it, people living with it. Absolutely. And so I'm going to put up, I might actually put up a link to the movie Still Alice, mm -hmm. uh, because I, I think that's a wonderful movie and uh, links to you are asking people to contact you to be part, of, research, um, yes. part of the research. So we'll put links up for that and links to the neuro website because <laughs> all, all your research studies are on there as well. So we usually, before we say goodbye, we ask our guests to give our listeners some words, final words of advice or wisdom. I think it, I think it's important to understand that dementia, dementia is a diverse syndrome. So we've talked today a lot about memory issues and behavioural issues and language issues. So I think understanding that diverse spectrum is really important. 
But also, I think it's really important to understand that dementia isn't an inevitable part of ageing. And we really need to move beyond that way of thinking and actively engage in the world around us, be active in our community socially and physically, do the right things and you will give your best, you will give yourself the best chance of living healthy for longer.